here's an experiment for you. Take passionate experts in human resource technology. Invite cross-industry experts from inside and outside HR. Mix in what's happening in people analytics today. Give them the technology to connect, hit record, pour their discussions into a beaker, mix thoroughly, and voila! You get the HR Data Labs podcast, where we explore the impact of data and analytics to your business. We may get passionate and even irreverent, but count on each episode challenging and enhancing your understanding of the way people data can be used to solve real-world problems. Now, here's your host, David Turetsky. Hello and welcome to the HR Data Labs podcast. I'm your host, David Turetsky. I have with me today a very special guest, Dr. Don H. Nicholson. Hello, Don. Hi, David. How are How you? How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Don, I've known you for a long time. Was very interesting about your career. You started off as a consultant at Arthur Anderson after getting a degree in English and American literature. Tell me how you got there. You know, a lot of it was down to luck. Uh, when I graduated back in the 80s, it was in the middle of a recession. So it's somewhat akin to the situation that we have now. I had a dream job that I wanted, that I was really desperate to achieve, which was to be a journalist. However, because of the recession, it was not to be. So it came down to pot luck, frankly, and taking what was there. And then really sort of trying to use that as a good and positive start and building a career from there. And then you went on to the financial services industry at Morgan Stanley, where I met you. That's right. Yes, it was it was a slightly uh, bizarre transition insofar as Morgan Stanley had been my client when I was at Arthur Anderson. So I had already worked with a number of people and a number of individuals within the organization. And when the job came up, I felt like it was a good point for me to make a transition from being on the outside serving clients to being on the inside serving clients in a different way. And you did really well there. You got to the level of deputy head of HR and EMEA, responsible for really the technical side, compensation, benefits, HRIS, and data in the London Office of Development. And then you chose to move back into consulting. Yeah, I guess there was a little bit of unfinished business in my mind. Uh, I had left Anderson before becoming a partner. So as much as I loved Morgan Stanley and loved my career in financial services, I think there was a piece of me that sort of felt, can you cut it as a partner in one of the big four firms? So I made the decision to go back into consulting and join PwC uh, as a partner in their human resource consulting business, providing advice to clients pretty much like me from where I come from. And then at 50, you decided to make yet another career-defining move back into something interesting, into academia. Yeah, you know, I, I think one thing that's probably is clear to me and probably clear to you is, you know, careers are not linear things. You know, they kind of move around in a different way, in a different pace. And so I guess having been a partner at PwC, having been a managing director at Morgan Stanley, I sort of looked at it and thought, okay, what next? And I suppose I had uh, an interest in psychology. I had no formal training in psychology, notwithstanding the fact that I'd worked in HR, which obviously there's a lot of psychology in HR right. for many, many years. Uh, and so I felt that the right thing to do was go back into education. And I spent three years doing a bachelor's with 
18 to 21 year olds in the classroom. And then I did a PhD after that. But the PhD is very specific and it's fascinating. It's the psychology of decision making, which as an HR professional, I think that would be just very applicable to me. Yeah, I mean, I guess when I thought about it, I'd like to think that I've been involved in many great decisions, but I also know that I've been involved in many poor decisions. Uh, And I suppose it's fair to say that I became obsessed with the way that decisions are made, the process that we go through, whether we're making decisions individually, even in our lives, you know, it doesn't have to be in a work context or whether we're making decisions with other people. Uh, And I I suppose, became obsessed with the idea that I could somehow help people make better decisions. And that was the basis for the PhD. So one fun thing to know about Dawn is, and I don't know if anybody else knows about this, they will now, you detest Brussels sprouts. I have to say that I really, really don't like them. I know that there is a Brussels sprout gene and I I can't figure out whether if you have it, you like Brussels sprouts or if you have it, you hate Brussels sprouts. But all I know is that when I was a kid, my parents' dog got to eat a lot of Brussels sprouts. <laughs> I'm going to go check my 23andMe because I don't think I like them so and I don't want to try them. But I'll see if it's actually in my 23andMe and I'll know if I actually have or don't have that gene. That's a great segue. Let's dive in. First question. You work with data and statistics in a different way today than you did when you were in HR. What do you think the issues are when you look back at your time in HR and how you actually use data to drive decisions? You know, I think within statistical research that I do today, there is this concept of significance. Something has to change sufficiently for it to be considered a significant difference. And it is only through knowing and learning about statistics in the last six years that I understand that concept of significance. Now, like many concepts, it's a particular concept rooted in a particular discipline. However, it made me realize that when I was going back and looking at my HR career and I was responsible, for example, diversity and inclusion, I would pat myself on the back or we would pat ourselves on the back when numbers of female managing directors increased. And I now recognize that that increase was probably not statistically significant in any way, shape, or form. It was probably no better than chance. But on the basis of that change, we were evaluating programs and making decisions. And therefore, potentially, we were making those evaluations and decisions on the basis of poor data. Let's put it that way. So let's just stay on that for a second. So what would you do differently, though? How would you either make better decisions or how would you actually think differently or change the way in which you describe those differences to the people who worked with you, even your clients in the business? I think that's a great question. I think it's about saying, using the statistics to be able to identify those changes that are truly meaningful, where we can point to the programs and say, as a consequence of these programs, we made a fundamental shift, a radical shift, a statistically significant shift, if you will, against those programs where actually they're not really making any impact. It's always about taking the data, isn't it, and making the story that the business can tell. You know, we could have been plowing resources into programs that actually were almost making no real difference. Right. And and I think that's the point. The programs are changing behaviors. 
And those behaviors are now manifesting in differences that are statistically significant and therefore not only show up in the measurements that you're looking at, but they're also showing up in the real change that's it's actually manifesting through different behaviors. So whether it's managers changing their interview styles, whether it's recruiters looking for different people, whether it's the promotion chances that people have are now differentiated. It now leads to that example you used of the managing director population growing statistically significantly for females. You're now actually seeing the behaviors change and thus the measurements changing. So, Don, now that you've described the way in which statistical significance isn't really as understood in HR, let's talk about where that kind of manifests itself in how people think about these measurements and these analytics in the things that we talk about through causation versus correlation. So if we see behaviors change, and we see changes in the analytics, in the statistics that we see, are we saying that it's caused by something? Or are we saying that there is a correlation between the two things? Well, what I can tell you with certainty is that the data that exists within HR and within business, and in many places that are actually advising business, can't answer that question. So I see a lot of data. And again, I'm going to use the diversity example that says you create a very diverse board or a very diverse management committee, and suddenly your profits go up by, I don't know, X percent, right? And that is often, and I don't want to say intentionally, but it's often presented as being a causal link. You create diversity, your profits go up. Really, that is a correlation because you can't manufacture that diversity in that way and actually test it sufficiently to be able to point to a causal link. Right. And and I think we oftentimes try and drive that. I'm saying that from the perspective of when I was in HR, we tried to drive those conversations about, hey, you did this and it caused this because we saw it happening at the same time and we wanted it. We were praying that it did that. And it actually doesn't work that way. So help me understand here, what can people do to proactively not make that mistake or not make that misunderstanding? I think it's really about feeling confident in challenging the information that you're being presented with. You know, I consider myself very fortunate to have worked for some fabulous firms. I know if I walk into a room with, you know, PwC behind my name and I present a piece of information A lot of people are going to absorb it and take it in. And all I would say is, you know, whether it's McKinsey, whether it's Catalyst, whether it's it's anyone, don't be afraid to say to those guys, hey, is this really about causation? Can you really tell me categorically that statistic is a causal statistic rather than really what you're talking about is the relationship between, for example, greater diversity to profitability? That's great. Thank you. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by Turetsky Consulting and listeners like you. 
Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. So the third topic we're going to talk about is storytelling. And for people that know me and who actually heard me present on people analytics and people insights, storytelling is the key skill that you need to have in order to be able to provide your clients who you're talking to about this data, the links, and especially not making the mistakes we were talking about before, but creating a good story that's actually true. What are some of your tips or suggestions for being able to tell a good story around the data? I mean, the first thing for me is know who is listening to your story and put yourself in their shoes. You know, so many times I've seen people walk into a room with a 50-page deck and start getting really into a deep dive. And before you know it, the guy or the lady, the gal behind the desk is starting to fidget and look at the watch. You've lost the competition already. So start by knowing who the person is, what's their interest, and also asking yourself, you know, what do I want from that person? Is this about me informing? In which case, what are the key points that they need to know? And let me get those right up front. Is this about me asking for something? In which case, let me be clear what I'm asking for and why I'm asking for it. By all means, if you have someone in front of you who's a complete data freak, give them the data in a nice, big, fat appendix. And if they want to go away and look at it, to their heart's content, absolutely no problem. But know the audience and tailor the story to the audience. That's great. I also think that thinking about the audience and thinking about what you're bringing to them, I think that's phenomenal. What about the key question of is what you're presenting to them and thinking about the things we were talking about before, is it answering the questions that they could possibly be interested in? thinking not only about what is what they're going through, but think about the questions that they're asking and thinking about the questions they're not asking. Because a lot of times when you and I have both gone to talk to clients in business, they asked you for one thing, but they really meant something else. How do you bridge that gap between what you think they're asking for and what they're actually asking for? I really think the key skill here is listening. You know, I heard a great phrase that someone used once upon a time about the words and the music and do the words and the music match. And you can only work that out by listening to what is coming out of the client's mouth, basically. So I agree with you. You have to be prepared and maybe even do a little bit of digging to say, you know, is this really the question that you want to ask me or is there something else behind it? And invariably, you're right. There's something else behind it. I think there's a three-letter word that I love to use that I think a lot of people forget. That's the question, why? You know, somebody asks you a question, especially a client, and they say, you know, I need you to download some data for me. And the question, I think, especially in HR that we're afraid to ask is why? Especially if it's a CEO or somebody in, you know, on high. And the thing that I love to do is I love to challenge it and to say, just like you say, not only listening to them, but but digging in and trying to uncover what's actually being asked for so that you can provide a larger story. And even though they may pull out one snippet of it that's useful to them, maybe one chapter of that story makes sense to them for what the purpose is, at least you're providing them with a thorough analysis. I think that's right. And I think a lot of that is, is you know, sort of seeing beyond that. I hate to use this phrase, but I'm going to use it. It's not a master-servant relationship. Yes. You know, yes, 
That person might be the CEO or the head of sales and trading or the head of whatever it is. But ultimately, you are the HR expert, be it data or whatever. And I think that in that moment, that puts you on a par with that person in terms of the expertise that you're able to bring to that discussion. And that's why they will call you back. Right. 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 So, Don, great conversation. We talked about what your suggestions are for how to properly analyze the data. We've talked about the difference between how people draw conclusions from the data in correlation versus causation. And we talked about storytelling and all three fascinating examples as well of how HR and the business can work together to be able to utilize the data and not make mistakes of trying to infer too much or too little from the data. Any parting questions, suggestions, thoughts before we wrap up? My final comment is really, I think, just to reiterate, you know, data is there to serve a purpose, but it should be questioned and it should be interrogated and it should be challenged. Sometimes the question doesn't get asked when it needs to get asked. Uh, And I think data can be hugely powerful if it's used in the right way. So with great data comes great responsibility. Right. Perfect. (laughs) Great. Thank you very much, Don. You're awesome. It was wonderful to talk to you again. And hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, David. Take care. Take care. That was HR Data Labs. Please visit TeretskyConsulting.com forward slash podcast to review the show add comments about this episode, or add new ideas about upcoming shows you'd like to hear. Feel free to be creative, but please be nice. Thank you for joining us this week on the HR Data Labs podcast, and stay tuned for our next episode. Stay safe.